Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. <laughs> I'm trying to change it up here, okay? Like, have different inflections in my voice and all that. But anyway, right. this is episode 64, and we're reviewing 86 part one. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. 86, those patties, crabs. <laughs> I'm going to just continuously think about that line. I know, I think about it too. About and it's kind of weird because 86, it's it's being treated as two seasons, but I think it's technically one season broken up into two cores because not a lot of time has gone by between the two cores. Um, they both are coming out, This because 86 Part 2 is out right now. They're both 2021 anime. Um, but the first part that we're talking about today, which is episodes one through 11, came out in April. So it's a spring anime. April through June. Yeah. And then 86 part two, which is the the remainder of the show, um, is airing right now as part of fall 2021. So I didn't know how to title it because everywhere I looked, like different sources had it just as like 86 with the numbers. Other sources ha- had it as 86, 86, where it's the numbers and then it's the word 86 written out. And then some had it as like part one and part two and season one and season two. So we're just going to go with 86 part one and 86 part two. And I think that should be clear enough for everybody. It's a lot of numbers. It's it's a lot of numbers <laughs> for just two numbers. Um, but uh, a couple of things I want to touch on before we, we dive into this discussion. Um, as a reminder, we're going to keep saying it because it's hype as fuck. JoJo Part 6 Stone Ocean comes out tomorrow as of this yeah, recording. Yeah, this is Stone Ocean Eve. <laughs> Stone Ocean Eve. We recently, um, well, I guess we, we didn't watch it because it, it happened at like 3 o'clock in the morning, our time, central time. Um, but there was a like another JoJo event that happened where they released the OP, um, both the song and the visuals, which are CG. Once again, they actually did it and brought back CG to JoJo openings. I'm I'm shocked, but very happy about it. And you know us, we hate CG. JoJo CG is the only CG that I think I, I can accept. Um, and then I think they also announced. Um, who another key voice actor will be for a key character. I don't want to spoil it just for anyone who isn't as familiar with Stone Ocean, but yeah, they were, they revealed one more cast member and they did it in like a very hilarious fashion. Yeah, that was <laughs> it was a dramatic lead up and then he just like, "Hi, I'm so and so." And that was it. <laughs> like, "Oh, okay." Um, but yes, uh, by the time this episode airs for our 86 review, um same day will be the start of our part six stone ocean review series over at strictly jojo so if you haven't ventured over to strictly jojo um or if you have and you are planning to watch stone ocean please join us over there every single monday for our stone ocean review series again starting december 6th which should be the day that this this episode of strictly anime will be premiering so go listen to to this 86 review and then jump over to strictly jojo to listen to our first review of stone ocean totally unrelated though let's talk about mahjong what <laughs> let's talk about mahjong i don't know i felt compelled to talk about this really quick because over the thanksgiving holiday we played a bit of mahjong at um, my parents house and i'm like i just want to talk about it for a second because i love mahjong and i feel like there's a good chunk of people out there who also enjoy mahjong and um some people may be familiar but we're both uh filipino and filipinos love mahjong yeah actually 
at your parents was probably the first time I had played mahjong. Wait, um, what? Yeah. What? You're more Filipino than I am. No. How is well, that possible? <laughs> well, my like my dad would avid like he wouldn't play a lot when he when I was younger, but like I have memories of you know, like family parties and gatherings, and it was always like three of my uncles. You know, they would grab their food and you know chat and mingle with everyone then they would all go to the basement and the rest of the night it was just them drinking and playing mahjong like until it was time to go home one of the most nostalgic noises for me growing up um because on on our filipino side and really our because i'm i'm filipino and, and italian like our my family's pretty mixed and they all get along very well so the italian side would also join in a mahjong but really it was at mostly at the filipino parties um you would just hear the noise when they would shuffle the pieces yeah just the like, tiles like, just like clinking together yeah and it's just such a distinct sound and it's like every time a new game you know is happening they have to shuffle and it's just like it's very loud and obnoxious but it's so fun to just watch people take their hands and like mix them up in the middle of the table and hearing that in the middle of filipino parties you're like yeah that's good stuff and now they have tables that are set up and built so that it'll automatically like shuffle and arrange like the mahjong tiles for really you. i've never You've seen, seen that seen, there's they're probably on like tiktok or youtube i think one of our friends like on his ig story he was at another friend's place and they had the table and like you you dump the tiles into like a gap and then that gap closes then like there's a machine that'll shuffle it and then from these other four gaps it'll raise the tiles and put them in like a neat order what the hell that's for like extreme mahjong players yeah it's like for the world mahjong tour <laughs> that you see at like 2 a.m on espn as convenient as that is i don't think i'd ever invest in one of those just because i enjoy nostalgia is such a strong thing um i enjoy the the feeling of shuffling the tiles by hand yeah. and actually um my uncle was telling us at thanksgiving or I guess retelling the story of one of my other, I think maybe my mom's uncle, who was such a pro at playing mahjong. And, I'm, and there's a lot of people out there who are like this, but he would just pick up the tiles, not even look at them or flip them over. He would just run his fingers under the bottom of the tile, and he could he immediately knew what kind of tile it was, whether it was like um, characters or sticks or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. He just knew, and he would throw it down. Dang. Like that, he was mad, mad pro at mahjong. So that's that's pretty impressive. Maybe one day I'll get to that point. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, in my almost thirty years of existence on Earth, last or Thanksgiving week was the first time that I played mahjong. I can't. And I can't believe that. that that's crazy <laughs> to me. I just because for me, even in high school, our our uh, our friend group who were all Filipino, we would play, and we were like. 15 year olds and we love mahjong that much that we would have our own mahjong tournaments at one of my friends houses and it's just it's mind-blowing to me that you've never played i don't know maybe my parents thought like it would lead me down like a gambling addiction <laughs> which yeah the game was pretty fun to play once i started to get the hang of it and you know i feel like we have to just kind of explain it for like the people or listeners out there who are not familiar with mahjong it's basically asian poker yeah, <laughs> and they, they use these pretty thick um, rectangular tiles that have various, um, I don't even call them like characters, I guess, although one is called characters, and then like images, numbers one through yeah. nine. And like we, by no means am I a pro Mahjong player. I know like the very, very basics of it. 
I don't play to gamble or anything like that. I play it purely for the thrill of strategy. I really enjoy just the strategic thinking behind Mahjong um, and just kind of understanding the landscape of like what everyone else has and what's in the middle and the likelihood of me being able to complete certain sets based on what's already been played or what's already been, been grabbed. Um, so yeah, I, I just really, really enjoy that aspect of it. And I know there's other versions of Mahjong out there. I have no fucking clue how to play other versions except for the one that Filipinos play. That's the only one that I've ever understood. Yeah, I'm actually curious if my uncles played the same way that we did on Thanksgiving. Because uh, I know your uncle mentioned there are, again, various ways that certain tiles are played or like certain sets that have to be acquired in order to win. Um, but... Yeah, it was an interesting game. And now I think my group of friends, like they, they change hobbies a lot, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> but now they've expressed interest in learning Mahjong. Uh, so now I'm pretty sure we have a set lying around somewhere. Somewhere, yeah, I got to find it. But now I want to kind of bust it out and just have a Mahjong night with them. Do it. It's worth it. <laughs> Again, like the gambling factor aside, it's just fun to play Mahjong and it's it's super nostalgic for us as, as Filipinos. And for anyone out there listening who also understands the joy of, of Mahjong. The joy the, of Mahjong. The stress of Mahjong. Sounds depending like on a Bob Ross like, <laughs> TV show. Yeah, for any of you out there who, uh, who are familiar with Mahjong or have played it or whether it's the same way we've played it or in different capacities, I... I hope you enjoyed this little this little chat about Mahjong. I don't know. I just, for some reason, felt really compelled to bring up Mahjong on today's episode. <laughs> now I'm wondering, do casinos even have Mahjong tables? Oh, I don't know. Because I've been to Vegas many times, and I know there are, like, um, Asian card games that they have at certain tables because they, they draw, like, a huge Asian population. But I don't think I've ever seen Mahjong at a casino here in the States. That would be cool if they had that. I'd be scared to buy in because I probably would suck ass. Oh, yeah. I, I never play at tables <laughs> when I go to casinos because it's, it's scary. It's terrifying, <laughs> and I'm not much of a gambler anyway. But if there is a casino out there, I, I'd probably just stand around the Mahjong section just to hear the tiles being like, shuffled I would, around. Yeah, and I would watch to see how people go about playing Mahjong. Like, what, what kind of strategy do different people use? Mm -hmm. Well... Let's go back to anime. <laughs> Sorry, just that was a fun little side conversation I just wanted to bring up. But going back to anime, um, I am watching Made in Abyss because I'm trying to watch um, a lot of, uh, like, not popular, but key anime that the community always talks about. And I think Made in Abyss Season 2 just recently got announced, so in preparation for that, I'm finally watching it. And, oh, my God, it's really good. It's really good. I completely understand the hype. And from like surface level, you think it's going to be a kid show because it looks like a kid show. Kid show. And, <laughs> and it, the main characters are kids and most of the characters are kids, but it's not. I don't want to spoil anything because you're not watching it, but I'm hoping that you'll be able to watch it before season two premieres so that we can talk about it on the podcast. But I think what I'm most impressed by with Made in Abyss is that it's extremely mature storytelling told through the lens of children. And that it's such a weird dynamic. Like, even some of the most mature anime out there, and I don't mean mature as in, like, sexual. I just mean mature as in, like, a mature themes. Like, there's there's blood and, and there's violence and, and very, um, you know, depressing themes that, that pop up in Made in Abyss. But... The fact that like they're able to successfully 
tackle these themes with children as the protagonist or as the, the main characters is more impressive than some anime out there that are like trying to do the same thing where they just rely on drama and like shock factor to be able to get the audience to feel some of these emotions that Made in Abyss is doing with ease without having any shock factor in there. Like there's some surprising moments, but it's nothing that's like too grabby or too try hard. And I think that's what's most impressing me at this moment. I'm only, oh, only, I'm 10 episodes in. I think there's 13 in total. So I'm almost done with the first season. But yeah, wow. I get the hype around it. It's funny because the only reason I know of Made in Abyss is that uh, there was or the anime convention, one of the anime conventions here in Chicago, at the hotel that was hosting the convention, the hotel cards had a design of Made in Abyss on it. <laughs> Wait, really? Why don't Why don't I remember that? Which an, or which uh, convention was it? It was Anime Central. This was like 2017, I want to say. Is uh, that when it came out? And I'm going to check. I think that might have been when it came out. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, now that rings a bell. Because side note, I've decided to try and compile some of the hotel key cards that we get from our stays at various hotels in the city and around the country, um, just as a kind of like a, a keepsake. Um, I know it's kind of weird because... That I, is like, a very weird thing to collect. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I sanitize the cards first, of course, but like I put them in a card sleeve in a binder. Um, and... I, I was sorting it one day and I just saw like the Anime Central logo and then it had um, kind of like a Made in Abyss a vi visual on it. Yeah, and I'm looking here. It did come out in 2017, so that would make sense. But yeah, I, I remember when Anime Central started um, moving from standard hotel key cards to like branded ones that either said Anime Central or had like, you know, like a promotional opportunity for an anime to have it on the key card. So that I can see wanting to collect because those are pretty unique. Yeah, and I just thought it was just some some goofy ass anime. Um, it looks that, like, like a goofy ass <laughs> anime, but it's it's really good. I'm mm -hmm. I'm hoping that that you'll be open to watching it. It's it's a quick watch. It's only thirteen episodes, and yeah, with the second season coming out, I think next year. I'm looking here because I'm actually curious. Um, I'm hoping that we can talk about it because the storytelling is is really really nice. I I think um, for me that's got to be the the strongest point so far for this anime. Okay, wait, and I'm looking. There's, there's three movies. Okay, well, I saw. I thought I saw something about Made in Abyss Season 2. All right, Google, help me out here. Okay, yeah, it's coming out. I just don't see it on mail for some reason. But anyway, Made in Abyss Season 2, that's coming out um, at some point. Hopefully, we'll, we'll talk about it then because this show is really good. Let's do it. Let's get into 86. Let's dive into the human being. The Let's 86 those patties <laughs> crabs. <laughs> Let's jump into this, what seems to be a character drama set in wartime. And right off the bat, huge, huge, huge thank you to Emily D. We've mentioned this before, and we want to continue to thank you. Um, Emily reached out to us and recommended that we watch 86. And we had had it on our list, but never committed to it. And this was the push that we needed to finally watch this anime and I'm loving it. I think it's really good. I understand the hype around it. And we wouldn't be watching it, I feel, if it weren't for Emily. So thank you, Emily, for reaching out to us. Um, and hope that you enjoy this review as well as everyone else. Yeah, I've seen this, like the visuals and the poster for it so many times on Crunchyroll. And like I knew there was a considerable following behind it. But 
I, I I didn't realize I would have been so interested in an anime filled with like political drama and intrigue since Attack on Titan, which I think is fitting because there are a lot of comparisons between 86 and Attack on Titan because of the similar themes. Um, but yeah, thanks, Emily, for sticking me in a glass cage of emotions. Glass, glass case? case of emotion? That's from Anchorman, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, I'm in a glass case of emotion. That That is true because there's... There's a lot of feels in this anime. And, and right off the bat, just talking high level, um, initial thoughts, I'm thoroughly impressed by the storytelling techniques in this anime. Um, I, I really enjoy the way they do um, point of view POV or like split perspectives. First showing the entirety of a scene from one side and then showing it from the other side rather than showing them simultaneously, kind of from... Lena's side of things and then from Spearhead's side of things. It, it like forces the viewer to experience everything only from the first POV with only the same knowledge that they have in that moment, like that the character has in that moment. So you you watch something unfold from, from Lena's point, but she can't see anything that's fucking going on. She can only hear it. And that's all you get. And then later in the episode, they'll show you just to kind of bring things full circle. They'll then show you everything that happened in that same moment from Spearhead's point of view or, or vice versa. And I just, I love that. I love that we're not privileged enough to get to see things as they unfold on both sides at the same time. You have to wait. You have to play this waiting game and then the payoff is so worth it. Yeah, to further expand upon that, um, again, drawing comparison to Attack on Titan, I would say 86 isn't as action-packed, but I think that's what I like about this because... Like you said, it focuses a lot on character moments, the dynamic t between the members of the 86th District and with um, Lena as their handler. But I feel like you never really see the soldiers of the 86th in battle until like later on in, in this first half. Just furthering the idea that Lena and the society of San Magnolia are just so far removed from- Is that what they're called? Or that's like, what the place is called? Yeah, it's the Republic of San Magnolia. Oh, <laughs> I missed that detail. <laughs> wow. that's good thing I take notes. Uh, but just demonstrating it, like these these people are so far removed from this conflict that they think have no casualties that you kind of see their deaths as inconsequential. But like, it's, like you said, it's only from Lena's perspective. Like we don't get the full impact of that until we see things from the side of the the 86 going back to what you were just previously saying about um this having having similar vibes to attack on titan but having less focus on action pieces i i agree i think um i went into it expecting like full-on battles and really we don't get any full-on battles i think the longest battle that we get is when shin goes up against his brother and even then that was pretty short i feel like it lasted maybe half an episode or two-thirds of an episode and that's okay because like you said the, the focus here is around the character drama around um, maybe not so much the politics of things. It's it's a little less politic heavy, politics heavy than Attack on Titan, but really just focusing on the human nature and um, you know how humans interact or treat each other. So I think I, I think the action pieces serve as just kind of a way to break things up. Because if it was just like pure character drama with like a lot of emotion, it might get really exhausting. But I think the 
the action sets help to give us a reprieve from those emotions, whether they're happy emotions or sad emotions, because they're really good at transitioning from happy, happy moments to extremely sad moments. And that's also very impressive to me. Yeah. I mean, the, the series tackles heavy themes of discrimination and prejudice, but you know, I think it focuses a lot more on the idea of camaraderie uh, the truth of what or whom you're fighting for in such a large-scale conflict as the one between San Magnolia and I think it was the Empire of Jihad. Um, I have no idea. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> There's yeah, a I lot take, of lore I in this, take notes. this show. <laughs> um, but again, I hate like having to compare it to Attack on Titan because the, they should be treated as their own two things um, and their own two rights. But I just like the idea that with 86, it also explores the theme of war not always being so black and white. Um, as you learn more about the interplay and the interconnectedness of Lena with the characters of the 86th District and more particularly of, of Shin. Yeah, I, I have to say, not to jump too far ahead, but one of the biggest shock factors for me wasn't, I even think, like a an intentionally shocking moment it's just when lena asked them why don't you guys just run away and i'm like oh shit that's a really good point because i for some reason i expected that they were going to say like oh these chips in our ears like whatever they're called the the paraids in our ears like will they'll explode if we try to leave a certain premises or if we if we try not to um do something that we're commanded to but they literally could just run away mm -hmm. that is a very viable option that is available to them and they decide not to i think that for me was a very big moment because yeah going into it thinking like oh there's got to be some reason why they haven't run away um some some physical reason that, that keeps them tied there but when they said no we, we do this just so that we're not part of the problem um you know being a person who doesn't care about other people and protects other people i'm like that's that's huge because that takes a lot of courage and a, and a lot of self-sacrifice, literally, um, to be able to do something like that, to put yourself on the front line for people who don't even care about your existence or don't even acknowledge your existence. Yeah, it's very evocative of like World War II films or like the war uh, film genre in, in general, uh, just because I, I used to love watching all those like bloody, gory war films, but not necessarily for the action, but again for those those quiet moments of these characters fighting for the person next to them i think that's what i got out of 86 um with you know, the relationship between the, the spearhead squadron and lena um starting to develop more of a connection with them yeah and one more thing before we dive into it that you brought up that's um a great point is just the the blurring of lines here when halfway through this show i believe um, we find out, or, or at least the, the Spearhead Squadron mentions to Lena that there are 86 out there who are just as scummy and just as awful as some of the Alba. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, that's a very realistic thing. But oftentimes what you have in, in anime is like you have the oppressed group um, and then the oppressors, and they portray the oppressed group as just like so pure and so innocent. And like, there's very, very little that they do wrong, which just makes... It tries to make the, the viewer super sim sympathetic with mm -hmm. them. But here they're like, no, there's shitty people on the 86 side of things too. Like, we're not going to deny that there aren't, like, people who abuse people or, you know, don't treat people well. Um, so it kind of gives you a little bit of conflict as the viewer to, to really stop and think, like, is there really a good and bad side here? 
And I think, mm-hmm. I mean, overall, yeah, the Alba fucking treat the 86 like trash, and, and that's that's pretty fucking bad. But there's there's that um, that emotional conflict that you get, and I, I enjoy that. As weird as it is to say I love when uh, an anime or a show kind of pushes the envelope like that and really makes you question who you're siding with. Yeah, it's just the human condition. Like, there are good and bad in all of us, no matter what race, creed, color. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting that the show is emphasizing that as well. Really wanted, uh, really quickly wanted to comment on CGI, and I oh, know, yeah. I know, like we are always so critical of CGI, except when it comes to JoJo's CGI OPs. <laughs> but I gotta say, like the the CGI in this show with the Juggernaut specifically wasn't as distracting as I thought, and I don't know if you got the same vibe. I just thought they were pretty well integrated with the backdrops and characters and it didn't always stick out like a sore thumb i at first i was like ew what am i watching like i, I was i was jarred i also by figured it. that because they look like spiders yeah that too oh my god i hate spiders so much i oh god i hate spiders um but no like the cg i just kind of was like ew what is this but mm. then um to your point i got used to it pretty quickly overall i would say I don't enjoy the CG in this show, and it just could be because I'm super critical about CG in anime. Um, but it's certainly not as bad as some other CG mechs that are out there. I think because the settings are pretty... Well, I was going to say because the settings are pretty dark, but really this, we get the CG even in broad daylight. Yeah, right? and like the later half when they're exploring outside of the like the Republic's district or whatever. I think maybe it's because there's less action sequences mm-hmm. where the cg um juggernauts are like bouncing all over the place most of the time they're just kind of like walking around so maybe it's not as like distracting to my eyes but yeah I, overall it's it's fine i'll just leave it at that it's certainly not the worst and it's it's fine fun fact the creator of the manga i think her pen name is asato asato uh there was an interview where she was asked why why the design with of the juggernauts being like four-legged instead of like mechas or tanks her response was i just think they're cool (laughs) (laughs) i love that that's great i love when a creator gets asked like a really pressing question about their work and they're like i don't know just because i wanted to do it that way like there's no real meaning (laughs) and last thing i want to comment on is you know even though there is no meaning with the juggernauts uh like the design um just the significance of the number 86 and i've made the passing reference to that that quote from spongebob with 86 in those patties crabs but i i I was just curious i looked up like the i guess the meaning of the word 86 because i feel like it it's in like modern jargon um and it is like a slang term that means to reject discard or cancel uh, so when they're saying 86 those crabbies pad <laughs> 86 those patties, patties crabs. Crab. i did this it's gonna be in our bloopers for this episode i did it a second time now i'm so sorry i don't know why i get tongue-tied on that 86 those crabbies <laughs> those patties crabs wait okay 86 those patties crabs yes. you're looking me dead in the eye like what the fuck is wrong with i'll you? give you an f Holy for effort, <laughs> f for effort. 
<laughs> okay, I'm never going to say that line see, again. <laughs> I always thought it's like, oh, pack those patties up for us, crabs. <laughs> no, but no, pack those crabbies up for yeah, us, cra- Pack those crabbies for us, Pat. <laughs> uh, but what they're really saying is like, just forget about making the patties. Oh, um, shit. What the fuck? I never yeah. knew that. Um, I think it was derived, like it's military shorthand. Um, because way back in the day when they had the rotary phones, uh-huh. like the ones where you had to like rotate With the, the number and then wait for it to go back. Like there was a T on the eight key and an O on the six key. So are those standing for throw out, like to throw out something meant to like 86 it. Whoa. That's like one, one, I guess, etymology, um, of the term, but it's just, it's funny that they're not funny, but. Um, coincidental that the they use the term 86 here because 86 is referring to this again like this inferior human race of beings that we eventually learn that the alba want to get rid of um, because they think their 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 genes are again not as not as superior as theirs. Did the creator say if that was her intention? <laughs> I feel like she just wanted, would have said, I think the number 86 is cool. <laughs> I just picked but, two digits. <laughs> but I'd like to think like 86 was purposefully chose, chosen um, for that reason. All right. Well, I was today years old when I discovered the true meaning of that's that SpongeBob quote. I'm not going to attempt to say again. <laughs> it's kind of like I think <laughs> last year or two years ago, I was like, um, I, I had like another I was today years old moment where I realized what was going on in the song. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. I was literally like, I don't know, 28, 29 when I fucking realized, oh, the dad is Santa Claus. Yeah. He's dressing up. I had no fucking idea. It took me that many years. You 25 thought plus mommy years, was cheating on daddy? 25 <laughs> plus years for me to realize like, holy shit, it's like a big brain moment, even though it was probably really a small brain moment. <laughs> the only reason I knew it was the dad was because my 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 dad had like a, a vinyl um, disc of like Christmas karaoke songs. And the video that was playing in the background, you could tell it was the dad that was, like, shacking up with the mom. Oh, I honestly thought it was, like, legitimately a Christmas song about a mother, like, cheating on her husband with Santa. Not, like, full-on <laughs> cheating, but, like, kissing another man who just happened to be oh, Santa Claus. And the kid mi- saw it and was like, my dad's going to laugh about this later. I'm like, probably not. <laughs> no, Mrs. Claus is also watching, too. Oh, right? shit, that's right. I never <laughs> so, thought about that. But anyway, I was today years old when I realized the meaning of 80. 80- I'm not going to say it. The 86ing those crabbies, patties, There you go. Pads. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's fucking get into it. <laughs> Hit us with that synopsis, please. All right. So 86 is an anime series based on the light novel series of the same name written by Asato Asato and illustrated by Shirabi. Produced by A1 Pictures and directed by Toshimasa Ishii. The series centers Are you on asking your telling. <laughs> Sorry, that took me a minute. The series centers on Major Vladilena Lena Milize, handler of the Spearhead Squadron in a presumed proxy war between the Republic of San Magnolia and the Empire of Jihad during this not so stellar year of twenty one forty eight, where the conflict is not as crystal clear or casualty free as it seems. In episode one, Undertaker, the Republic of San Magnolia is currently going mano a mano with the Empire of Jihad boasting that their automated juggernauts are preventing human casualties in the war. But even Tyler the Creator knows that that's a fucking lie, as they are piloted by the subhuman 86s. 
Major Laser Lena is put in charge as the new handler for the elite spearhead squadron of 86 pilots, despite the ruthless reputation of their leader, Shinderu Nozen, aka Undertaker, who mercy snubs the life of one of his mortally wounded pilots after a battle with enemy spider droids. Determined to break the mold and build rapport with her subordinates, Major Laser Lena calls Spearhead, who are equally determined to give her a bunch of shit as per every handler before her. There was a lot going on in this first episode, and, and truthfully, it was a bit overwhelming because it was it was like a world-building dump, but it still got the point across, of course, that District 86 is being used for the war and aren't seen as humans by the other districts, blah, 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 and that Lena becomes their handler. Um, yeah, that's like all I got from this episode is because it was just a lot going on. I, I won't lie. The lore was laid on real thick here. But I did really love um, the transitions that we saw in this episode between everyday life and then the horrors of war. Um, and then seeing things from both sides, Lena's end and then the 86's end, I feel like, or Spearhead's end. I feel like that was the start of, you know, introducing us to the way they were going to tell the story through their various perspectives. I mean, you have that like introductory scene where you you hear the battle, right, and then you just hear all the screaming. I think from like the the, the previous handler going insane, uh, and so that's where I was like, "Oh shit, this is gonna be a full on war anime." But you don't really see that, like I said, until the later half of this first part. The one thing I took away from this first episode, uh, in contrast to that, is when we see Lena approach her like. I don't know what you call it, like her 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 command desk or whatever, with all the monitors, um, where her she gamer g- station, <laughs> basically, <laughs> um, and the battlefield is presented to her on these computer screens, and you just see the the juggernauts and the pilots presented as blips, almost like she was playing a strategy game or like playing Galaga. Yeah, her gamer station. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I was like, this looks like a video game. Yeah, and that just goes back to what I particularly enjoy about this series is it symbolically is removing Lena and us as the audience further from the fact that there are human pilots behind the cock or in the cockpits of these juggernauts and it's so easy to see war here as as a chess game with without considering the human cost and that's again further emphasized with the scene where like Lena's walking um around in public and you hear like the newscast blatantly saying like there was another battle with uh, the juggernauts and the legion and there were no human casualties which is like fucked up yeah crazy fucked up mm-hmm. but yeah that that was um that was interesting just to see that little bit like dropped on you that literally they they being the alba don't care or don't choose to care um yeah it was, it was spooky before we move on, though, I feel like we have to talk about the OP and the ED. Doesn't it come in in episode two? It does, but I think we always talk about it in the first episode regardless. Okay, let's do it. I'm down. So the OP is called 3 Minutes 29 Seconds by the band Hitorie? H-I-T-O-R-I-E? I don't know how to pronounce it. But the irony is that the song is actually three minutes and thirty-one seconds long. What the fuck? So I don't know. <laughs> what a major troll! Why is it called three minutes twenty-nine seconds? I have no clue. And I, I looked up like the English translation of the lyrics. It, it has nothing to do about time. It's. Uh, I like to think that it's just a f- big fucking troll. <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, but in terms of 
yeah, I guess the song itself with the well, it's only using a minute and thirty to forty seconds as usual with um, OPs, but it's so frantically paced that it makes me feel uneasy every time I listen to it. Really, I okay. I thought something similar when I first heard it. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of noises going on, especially the way the singer is like singing. Um, but it grew on me really quick. Like it's a very edgy sound, but it fits well with the like emotions you experience in this show. Just. I think the franticness plays into the fact that like one moment will be super fucking happy mm-hmm. in the show and then suddenly it's like despair within like a split second, within a scene change. It just goes from one end to the other. Um, and I just feel like it fits with the whole like futuristic feel of this, at least with the the mecha and everything. But yeah, it grew on me pretty quick. And it's funny because there's another show airing right now in fall 2021 um, which is Ranking of Kings, where I feel like <laughs> I really want to enjoy that OP song. I want to so bad, but it's like one too many noises. It's like sound overload. And I, I, I feel like maybe that's what you're experiencing here with the 86 OP. I think it's just that guitar riff where it's, it just feels all over the place. And then when you think the song's about to end or the visual's about to end, you get more flashes of characters on screen and then the song kind of just resets and then it actually adds. <laughs> um, I think the musician in me just w- like wants finality in music. <laughs> um, so maybe that's what's what's like not drawing me towards it. But I did add it to our Spotify. Wow, I'm playlist. surprised. Because um, I, I understand like why like why it's evoking so much frantic like emotions. It's on crack. Like the song. Yeah. I mean, look at the title. Like the song's on crack. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give it credit. Uh, for the visuals in that they don't spoil anything really um, in its in like what they're presenting because it's mostly shots of Lena and Shin and then you have action shots of the Juggernauts and the Legion so you don't really get too much information on what the truth is behind the, the story and and the relationships. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's few and far between when we get an anime OP or ED that doesn't spoil anything for the show. I'll never understand, side note, why anime chooses to do that. Wouldn't you want to keep it a secret for your viewers? But it, feel, it's, it feels like you could just deduce the entire like plot from an OP in an anime. It's kind of wild to me. But anyway, let's talk about the ED. Yeah, so there's actually two different EDs um, that are kind of intermittently used uh, throughout this first half the first one and i would call it the main one being called avid um, it's by the composer for the series hiroyuki sawano um, featuring the voice of mizuki um it's it usually uses like still shots of the last scene of whatever episode the song is being used in um typically it highlights something in blue and then has like a reddish background um i thought this ed um, in regards to the timing of the song, I think it hits perfectly as certain episodes transition into its like its introductory piano riff. Kind of reminds me of um, how JoJo's Bizarre Adventure uses Roundabout, except Ooh, yeah, except in a less memey way, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but the way like that slow, I always call it the slow burn, like the slow burn of Roundabout like right towards the end of an episode where you know like okay it like gives you this lingering feeling i can i feel that same way with the way they introduce the ed slightly early yeah and i'm kind of skipping ahead here and i guess you could call this spoilers but in episode three i think 
that's the perfect example of how this song is used um, when the 86 um, character Kaye um, is stuck on the battlefield and she's about to be hit with like a, a legion attack and her last words were like I don't want to die and it cuts to Lena I think like gasping because she just realized she's about to lose this pilot and then the chorus just kicks in immediately and you just see a scene of you don't see Lena but she's in her chair looking at the screen and you just linger on that moment and it just gives you like that oomph like man yeah like it amplifies the drama i also really appreciate just the placement of of the ed it's not always literally at the end of the episode like mm-hmm. the, a lot of anime have post credit scenes that are usually like a minute or two long this will have significant post credit scenes like yeah. it, it actually almost feels like they placed the ed in the middle of the episode and then gave you the rest of the episode afterwards because of the dramatic effect that the ed would have in that particular spot like they they consciously choose to place the ed much earlier in the episode than normal in order to amplify what's happening on screen and i feel like the only other anime that i've watched that i can think of that that's done that is gintama but they do it more as like a fuck you kind of way where they're like (laughs) we're gonna throw the ed at any point we want like sometimes they even open the show with the ed for no fucking reason (laughs) not because it's like the dramatic last episode of a season but just because it's like a big f you like they just do whatever they want in gintama but here it's like it's very strategic and i think they they did it very very well or even, I think the show's kind of unique where it will just continue playing scenes even as the, the, the song and the credits roll. Um, so it's like, I know sometimes you want to skip EDs um, to see if there is a post credits, but like here you kind of have to just pay attention. Um, I feel like you only see like these scenes rolling through credits and like uh, penultimate episodes yeah. of series, but it was kind of refreshing to see them like just continue with the plot um, as you see all these names flash on screen it almost gives the ed more purpose than just closing out Mm -hmm. the episode like yeah we there's some really amazing eds out there where the visuals are fantastic but it's it's here it's like repurposing an ed um to make it like a blended part of the show and again they do it very very well and then we have the second ed called hands up to the sky again by the series composer hiroyuki sawano featuring the vocals of lako this is used i i went through each um credit sequence um one more time just to verify it's used in almost every even number episode so episode four six eight ten i don't know why um obviously it's a it's a change in pace from the somberness of the first ed this one's more cheerful i want to say but i just thought it was all right it's not as impactful as the first ed Uh, again avid yeah i have to agree it's still good but not as good last thing i'll say music wise is i have to give credit again to the composer hiroyuki sawano and i think he collabed with kota yamamoto for the majestic and orchestral score we hear throughout this series um, and especially utilizing the piano um, for really quiet and emotional moments i think they pulled that off so well and there's another tie-in to attack on titan here because both of those composers were the same ones for attack on titan so i think it's just fitting that they continue their collaboration on a very similar series in episode two spearhead after witnessing Shinderu's battle supremacy in a Legion offensive, Major Laser Lena attends a handler recruiting class where the professor predicts the enemy Legion will lose their battery life in about two years. 
Lena steals the mic and drops a major WikiLeaks bomb about the juggernauts being piloted by 86s who are not part of the master white-haired Alba race and advocates for their rights to the dismay of her superiors and her military uncle. She continues her goodwill communication with Spearhead, and even Shinderu has to crack a wry smile. So yeah, we get the, the backstory for Lena, that she's been to the battlefield once before but didn't fight, um, and we, we learn about her stance on the 86th district and how she feels um, they should really be treated as humans again. Um, and she's very vocal about it. Like she's not shy about it at all. And I find that interesting because I feel like in other stories, um, someone who's vocal like that risks basically getting themselves into, into some deep shit. But here it may be because she's part of the military or has, um, you know, familial ties very high up to the military but i find it impressive that she's just able to walk around and, and like openly voice her opinion on the 86 even when people are telling her to like don't like not do that um but with very little consequence um it's it's weird like i i don't know if i want her to have consequence or to not have consequence like i it would feel more impressive if she was defying a rule um knowing that she would get like you know a major slap in the face or like a major consequence if she keeps speaking up about the 86 um but at the same time it's like i don't need that added drama because there's already a good enough amount of drama going on with every other facet of the show so yeah i don't know like i, I could take it either way but at the bottom line is i like that she's vocal about it because there's a little nepotism yeah <laughs> she's protected by her uncle but um i would say it kind of represents again with lena being in this position of power at, at this moment in the story, she's just strutting her ideals um, as if to say, like, I, I believe highly in spearheading, no, no pun intended, <laughs> the cause for the 86. And I this made me kind of think of another character um, from another show, uh, Code Geass, um, Suzaku in particular. It makes you think, like, how effective Lena will be in using her position to kind of right the wrongdoings of her country against the 86. Yeah, and they question that pretty heavily in later episodes, which I'm I'm excited to talk about because they bring up some really good points where, you know, on the surface it looks like she's doing a lot, but in reality she's she's really capable of doing very little, at least mm -hmm. the way she's approaching it. Um, but no, I, I think that that's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. It, it plays well into the fact that they like to blur the lines a lot in, in this show. Um, and I, I really enjoyed the post credit scene in this episode because it shows Lena in her first kind of like interactions as the new handler one and that she's more responsible than previous handlers because she like pops back in during or after their conversation to command Shin to write his reports correctly. And so I just found that to be a very small but very telling moment that, yeah, she's here and she's sympathetic with them, but they she understands that they kind of need to be like re-educated not re-educated but um like retaught that really they they need to work together in order to be successful like the handlers mm -hmm. aren't there as, as some big joke or as you know um you know the this the nasty alba that they've worked with in the past like she's here to actually do things right and she needs to kind of get them in line behind her by putting her foot down in the situation mm -hmm. the other thing i like about this episode is that it kind of just cuts right to the chase in revealing the truth about the situation with uh, San San Magnolia's military structure, um, and 
just blatantly telling everyone that the juggernauts are piloted by humans and this is exploitation. Obviously, this gives a lot of overtones of World War II and, and Nazism. Uh, so it's a facet of this series that I am eagerly interested in how they continue to explore that. In episode three, I don't want to die. Do you want to die? It's from The Office. Oh, I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I was like, that sounds very familiar. Yeah. Uh, Major Laser Lena continues adding points to her social ranking with Spearhead and bonds with pilot Kaye, despite the supposed differences between the 86s and the Albas, with Lena revealing that she was once saved by an 86 pilot at a young age. Lena uses her military resources to supply Spearhead with updated battlefield maps, but what do you know? Kaya gets stuck in a marsh and, taking a cue from Walking Dead tropes, is gone before we can even say, see you in the next episode. 86 pilot Theodo goes off on Major Laser Lana's kindness, only being surface level because she hasn't even asked what their fucking names are, and Lana goes spiraling down a glass staircase of emotions. So yeah, this is a, a great example, this episode, about the transition from happy to sad. The The episode starts off super lighthearted and then ends extremely tense and dark we start off with the girls hanging out um and the group chatting with handler one and then by the end we lose kaye who we got to know through the conversations in this um episode and learn that she's a rarer race among the 86 um and then she dies and then i think theo lets loose on on lena and the most powerful part of this episode is that we never see Kaye die. We never see yeah. anything visually related to the moment she gets stuck um, to when she's um, she's taken out. We only see, quote-unquote, her death, or hear it rather, through Lena's view, which is on the screen of um, that, that map she has on the screen of the 86 and their, their waypoints, and then Kaye's voice over the parade. And this is another forced perspective where you are not privileged to see anything that's happening, but you can still feel the emotion through the, the amazing voice acting and the amazing way they kind of visualize everything, just, just showing us that screen and then just showing us Lena's face. Yeah, I thought this episode was terrific for, I guess, that, that storytelling element. And it kind of justifies Theodo, like letting loose and throwing Lena's ideals back in her face. Um, as I think with... Kai's death, it shows that it's one thing for Lena to say that she supports the 86's cause, but then it's another thing to see exactly what is happening or to actually be on the front lines when she is just sitting from her quote-unquote watchtower or just watching her, her battle screen. Um, like I, I think you still feel for Lena because you you know that she is being genuine in advocating for their the human rights of the 86. But she just hasn't been approaching it from the right angle. Uh, I think with the previous episode, it was like, yeah, she connected with these these pilots um, through a, a simple communication, but it needs to be more than that. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I, I just love Theo's rant here because it, it puts her in her place, but not even in a moment where she needs to be put in her place. Like she, to your point, she genuinely cares for them and she thinks that she's doing the right thing or at least doing something effective for them and theo's like nah not at all actually um and you you really can't blame either side like it's it's easy to say you care while still being very removed from what um spearhead is going through so i think lena just needed that eye opener in this moment and the way theo went about it of course was like really emotional um and i think one of the things that 
amplifies going back to the transitions from like happy moments to sad moments i think one thing that amplifies those transitions for me is how well they have written the dynamic between the members of spearhead there's a very realistic and very genuine family feel to that group and it's kind of crazy because there's, there's a shitload of characters, right? And we don't know anything about them. I, I barely remember most of their fucking names. And we're introduced to them only like one or two episodes ago. But you can feel how close they are. And it may be just because, you know, they know that eventually pretty soon they're going to die. So they need to just live every moment to its fullest. But most of the time, when you have such uh, such a large number of characters and they were only recently introduced, you don't you don't have that relationship established yet. Like you as the viewer need to go through a couple more episodes, a couple more moments with these characters to understand how close they are. But they did it so well. And in just like three episodes, I felt the family feel of the Spearhead members. And as the first part of 86 continues, you'll see like more flashbacks that just reaffirm that point. Um, and that's another thing that's surprising about the show is that it does so much with so little. Um, in terms of episode count, is that you can feel the family dynamic between the 86, even not knowing the names of the entire group. Uh, I think there's only five of them that are actually left by the end of this first part. In episode four, real name, Theodo gets an earful from Spearhead about the way he handled his What Grinds My Gears segment with Lena, but the event allows her to reflect on how to reconcile with her ideals and prompts her to call Shinderu to learn the names and backstories of the squadron. Shin explains his duty to preserve the memory of the 500-plus pilots he served with in the past and connects Lena to the rest of the squadron for both parties to make amends. Later that night, Lena, Lena learns Shin's name, and we learn of her connection to Shin's brother, Shorei. I guess you could call it 86 Degrees of Separation. That was a knee slap, by the way. <laughs> um, so this kind of ties into the previous episode because Theo's rant is something I want to talk about, but in association with this episode four. So two things that are really um, striking to me is is the writing, of course, is extremely thought provoking in these two moments. Um, like I was, I was immediately convinced that Lena's steps to befriend Spearhead would work just because an anime it often takes very little to make friendships blossom. But then Theo slaps some reality in her face through his rant saying, did she really think that just by talking to them every night, that would be the same as treating them as human? And I was like, damn, he's right. <laughs> like that that's mm -hmm. some serious reality. And then you have that coupled with Lena's uncle, um, you know, going back to how her father took her to the battlefield when she was young and then they got into that um, helicopter crash and then he ended up dying her uncle says that her dad was blind by taking her to the battlefield because one he associated the concept of dying on the battlefield only with the 86 like it's only possible for 86 to die and that the albas were invincible because it's only the 86 that are actually literally dying because they're the only ones that are out there um, but then he goes ahead and dies himself <laughs> and then two Talking about how bad things are for the 86 wasn't enough for um, her dad to change anything versus actually taking action to do something, um, which is kind of the position that Lena's in. She's also just um, kind of talking about, you know, starting a discourse about how the 86 are treated, but is she really actually taking action, taking concrete steps to improve their situation so like all of these things all of these moments of reality keep 
hitting Lena. But one thing I'm impressed with her character is that she never lets it stop her. It may give her a moment of pause as she reflects on this this reality she was just served, but she never stops in her quest to, you know, treat the 86 correct, to, to treat Spearhead correct, and to make sure that they all survive to to the best of her ability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think tied into that, what I took from this episode is specifically uh, when Shin talks about I think it's here where he mentions like there are he takes the name tags or whatever the a piece of each of the fallen um, pilots juggernauts yeah like right? their their emblem or whatever like he he we learned like he has a whole box of them um just showing the it's like a 500 plus number of how many people he's served with um in like the 86s i guess armed forces and it just reminded me of that quote from Cowboy Bebop. And it, I think this is from a, a Beatles song that it drew from, too, of you're going to carry that weight. Um, yeah. It just, this part in particular had strong similarities to, again, those those war films where it's always about fighting for the person next to you. And I think it was so great for Shin to want to honor the memory of those who have passed before him by carrying their weight with him uh, so that they like he can kind of transport them to like the true freedom that the 86 deserve and i think that lingers with lena in her quest to actually provide better lives for these characters is this remind me is this the episode where we find out that shin's brother was the one that saved lena yes so that's one of the i guess smaller critiques that i have about um, at least this first half of 86, is that I, I feel like that's just plot serving for, there's a lot of tie-ins here, right? Like we'll find out in a little bit that like Shin just happened to be a Nets next door neighbor. Um, and here like uh, Lena just happened to be saved by Shin's brother. Like I, I feel like that's just very convenient. Um, and in a show that has really strong writing, I felt like that was one of the, the weaker moments. Like, yeah, I get it, because then we find out more about his brother through Lena's experience. But at the same time, we could have just had Shin tell Lena, like, my ultimate goal is to take down my brother because he's basically become a legion. Like, we didn't need, like, I think the story wouldn't have changed very much. Now, I'm saying this not having watched part two. Maybe in part two, it does play a bigger part. Um, but just watching part one, I feel like we could have had this essentially the same story had Lena been saved by, like, anybody else. Yeah, because I think it, it wouldn't have really mattered unless, or if it was still an 86 pilot, I think the story would have carried on. Um, I think the fact that they had to connect it with Shin's brother is kind of like a way for the show to remind us that we're watching an anime. Yeah, or to, like, give us a stronger connection between Shin and Lena. But, mm-hmm. like, it's just, like, too convenient of a connection. And I, I would rather them build a connection through their interactions, um, both on and off the battlefield, versus, like, oh, what a coincidence. Your brother was the one who saved me from that helicopter crash when my dumbass dad took me out to the battlefield for some reason. Yeah, and there's another instance of this anime blatantly showing that's an, that it's an anime, um, you know, future episode i'm going to talk about but well let me bring up one more maybe it ties into what you're mentioning i think while we're on the topic anyway of just like small critiques just little things that i'm kind of like yeah i could take or leave um i think the other thing is that they dedicate an episode to a character and then they kill him off and i i 
that is very much an anime thing. Like when you suddenly get backstory in the middle of nowhere, especially for a character, you're like that kid's dying or that guy's dying or <laughs> that bitch is dying. Like they're, they're dead at that point. Um, and here it very much falls within that trope. And I feel like it just slightly dampens the storytelling because this is a show that continues to surprise me and continues to be very, um, like it, it challenges you to think about things in different ways. And then it just kind of takes this convenience factor of like, Oh, will they, won't they die? And then you're like, well, yeah, they will. Cause you gave me their backstory and like 99% sure they're going to die. I think that's just the fault of the walking dead conditioning us to always expect that. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks the walking dead. In episode five, I'm with you. Shorei's backstory is revealed where we learn that his family lived in the Republic's capital before the dark times and that he compassionately saved a young Lena from a Legion ambush that killed her father. The backstory is interrupted with a surprise attack from the Legion. Shinderu warns Major Laser Lena to cut off her para-raid link because of some black sheep interference, but she refuses and is subjugated to torturous voices of fallen comrades in distress. Shin later explains that, I hear dead people, and that the Legion is collecting brains to increase their intelligence and lifespan, empowering Lena to team up with Shin to end the war within a year. Good luck with that. Later, Shin reveals a scar on his neck courtesy of Shorei. Looks like Big Brother is a big bother as well. So yeah, we're halfway through the first core, and we're just now learning about the Legion, what they are, how they operate, and why Shin has to destroy each comrade that dies. And I think that that's very um, very signaling of the fact that this is not a show that necessarily focuses on the war. Um, the war just serves as that backdrop to, like, us being able to study the the human nature like through this environment um but it still is very interesting like that's the thing like it's not just another plot device like the legion is pretty interesting to me and the use of brains <laughs> as as weird as that sounds like i kind of want to learn more about that and i hope we learn more about that in the second half yeah with the black sheep element i'm not too keen actually on the whole brain harvesting thing but with i think with lena and Shin having this ability to hear um, the voices of their fallen comrades it's it's almost like presenting um, psychological torment personified and I think that kind of ties back with one thing in war being the prevalence of PTSD and it's it's so intriguing that the enemy legion is using the voices again of their fallen comrades as a tool to kind of demoralize them or to drive them insane. It's it's just crazy. In episode six, through to the end, after a flashback where Shinderu finds a headless version of his brother's body, we return back in the throes of battle where Spearhead suffers more casualties and Shin is forced to mercy kill his pilot Daya to scramble his brains. We learn that Shin is trying to find his brother's head despite their fallout years ago after their parents' death. Meanwhile, Major Laser Lena celebrates her birthday with colleague Annette and struggles to request more military support from her uncle, who orders Spearhead to embark on a suicide mission and attack a legion base under a legion base under construction, aka the perfect time for Lena to develop feelings for Shin. 
Okay, so yeah, this goes into what I was saying earlier about like one of my smaller critiques, um, one of my small critiques about the show. So we get the flashback where the Spearhead group was much larger and then they clarify it was only four months ago and that they lost that many people in just four months, which you're like, damn. But then you also start to think like the wheels are turning, people die left and right, someone's going to die. And then they take it further because they're trying to build you up only to take you down. Like we lose Lekka and Daya in this episode after seeing more romance between Daya and Anju. And I'm like, okay, well, I got all that Daya and Anju romance backstory. So, like, it's it's like a guarantee in my brain that, like, Daya's going to die. And then mm-hmm. he does. So it's kind of like, man, I, I, I wish I wasn't so, like, in tune with that trope. Like, I wish I was a newer weeb who, like, didn't make that realization yet that when you get backstory, that character's probably going to die. Um, but because I'm at that point, I kind of just... I don't know, it dampened the impact of Daya's death. Still super sad, especially yeah. when, like, he mouths something and you can't hear anything but the last word, which is Anju. So supposedly he probably says something like, I love you, Anju. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, like, it didn't hit as hard as I wanted it to because I knew it was coming. Yeah, I feel like they kind of rushed into Daya and Anju's story a little bit too much um, for his death to not be, like, as impactful as it should have been. I find it interesting, though, that, and I'll probably talk about this in a later episode, is that this is kind of the first instance, besides, like, Theodos lash out, where we see a character care deeply enough about another, like, part of the 86 squadron. Not to say, like, you've mentioned before, like, we, we can see the family dynamic, but I feel like after every casualty that we've seen so far, the characters go on with their daily lives. You know what I mean? Like they'll acknowledge the death in that moment, but then they'll carry on as if nothing really happened. And so with Anju, it's different because there's that, that connection of, of romance there. But again, it was just too rushed to really um, have that sink in. Well, I, that's another note I had here is like immediately after the battle, we see them, the team just trying to brush off these deaths and move on by, going about their normal and happy lives but we also see how much it pains them to have lost two more of their own and it's like heartbreaking that death is so common and frequent for them that the only way they can go on is by forcing themselves to move on which of course in this case in point as you mentioned like if their Anju's connection causes her to still try to hold back tears so we see that she's still physically like unable to to process his death but is trying because they just have to move on like it's it's just such a normal part of their everyday lives that it's not not to say it's not worth you know kind of mourning their deaths but it it may be more detrimental to them to take a moment and mourn than Mm -hmm. to just try and move on from it and that is so fucked up yeah and alongside romance this was the other thing that reminded me that i was watching an anime that i that didn't really sit well with me is that I think it was inevitable that there was going to be a budding romance between Lena and Shin, which is implied when she blushes at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Though honestly, I would have been fine without the, without it being forced. Well, okay, <laughs> I I personally fucking love romance, mm-hmm. so like I'm I'm fine with the romance. Um, I I don't think it's unnecessary. I just think it popped up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they've been talking a lot, but when in their conversations have they said something significant that provided that emotional connection, other than the fact that Shin's brother was the one that saved Lena? But I felt like that served more for Lena and Shin to go from, like, strangers to friends, maybe barely even friends, but to launch them from, like, strangers to, like, 
possible romantic interest not that i think it's one-sided right now i feel like that's a stretch like there was mm -hmm. nothing there was no catalyst that i saw anyway that would have made lena start to fall for shin and i i feel like that's the missing piece of this puzzle like I, i'm cool if they if they like have a romance of some sort but like where the fuck did it come from yeah the way i looked at it is that this was just another check the box move to establish that this is an anime and you need characters to fall in love yeah and maybe it's <laughs> just um maybe this is like a, a downside of only having 11 episodes to explore this half of the story because you gotta move pretty quick and they do move pretty pretty quick but not too quick in this show so maybe it's just one one piece they weren't able to properly explore but they still need to establish that it's a thing but more curious than just how they or how Lena started to fall for Shin is like how Shin behaves towards Lena because the 86 early spearhead clearly hate their handlers right like mm -hmm. they've been very vocal about that but Shin is always looking out for Lena from day one warning her about the stress of like keeping her parade on or checking on her when she sounds on edge and like that's very thoughtful of him but it's completely opposite from the way the majority of spearhead acts especially for someone who is in the 86th district and is treated like shit by previous handlers mm. so that that's another thing where i'm like is it just he's innately a good person and so he just is kind to everybody because he's very much your quintessential kudere like he's calm no matter what he's always cool um, nothing ever riles him up unless you mention his brother's name. Then he goes all like batshit crazy or something. But I just, I, I'm finding it very, I don't know, not like bad, but just odd that he's so caring towards Lena despite everyone else like fucking hating the Alba. Yeah. Maybe that'll be explored in the second part. I hope so. Cause I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious about that. <laughs> oh, well, I kind of saw the relationship as something like, what we see between Hawkeye and Black Widow in the Avengers. Like, they're just very close. Yeah. But okay, wait, now that I'm thinking about it more, because I'm, I'm talking out loud here, maybe the reason Shin is so nice to Lena is because they're paralleled characters. Like, Lena, like, is in a world where people hate 86, but she's the one of very few who actually sympathizes with the 86. And then on the 86 side... Shin is one of the few 86 that sympathizes with her being an Alba. I don't know if he sympathizes with the Alba in general, but with her as an Alba, he sympathizes with her. And he grew up uh, with them, too. Yeah, as in, we'll in District learn. 1 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so maybe. Okay, now that I think about it more, maybe that's that's what they're trying to get at here is like Shin and Lena are so parallel that they're kind to each other despite their differences, their physical differences. Um, okay. Well, maybe I just fucking answered my own question. I don't know. <laughs> but the last thing I wanted to mention, you've already kind of touched on it, is that in this um, episode, Lena has drawn chibis of each of the members of Spearhead to signal again that she cares about them, which is a parallel with Shin, who has that box of like the emblems that he chips off of their their juggernauts when when they die. And here again, like it's another moment where Lena is showing that she sincerely cares about the 86 and so like you gotta feel for her when they don't believe her when she says like i care about you guys but at the same time you, you can't blame them for not believing her after all that they've been through um and i think what i'm getting at here is like i i, I enjoy that the 86 openly hate on the alba like usually in these scenarios the the oppressed group either doesn't or can't speak openly about their displeasure like 
you know, they're either like so under the oppressor's thumb that they're blind to what's really happening, um, or they're, they're scared for some reason, or there's some, some consequence if they do speak up like in another major anime that I won't name because it might be kind of spoilery. I think you know what I'm talking about, but here the 86 are like, fuck it. We don't like you and we don't care if you know. And they're like, you know what? Screw you guys. Like when there's an Alba near them, I think like in one of the last episodes we see, and Alba like taking pictures of them and they don't really do much to fight back. But when they're talking to their handlers, they like are very openly disgruntled. And I, I really enjoy that. Maybe because they're just, they know that they're safe from a distance. But... Yeah, it's like, oh, what are you going to do? Come over here and right. like beat me up. You're going to come out to the battlefield. Like, nah, you're not going to do anything. <laughs> yeah. And I think they, they understand too. Like Lena understands their concerns. So she's not going to make a big fuss about it. Um, so maybe that's why they're also just willingly open with her. In episode seven, will you remember me? I will remember you. Oh my God, you're going to get it stuck in my head. <laughs> it's the Bunkasai episode. Just kidding. Major Laser Lena sends fireworks to Spearhead in celebration of the Revolution Festival, along with some finally approved care packages. 86 pilots Anju and Karena talk about the former's well-being after Daya's death and ponder whether or not to dish out Spearhead's biggest secret to Lena. One Legion ambushed later... Shinderu finally spills the beans to Lena that Spearhead is literally a suicide squad that is meant to wipe out any 86 pilot nearing the end of their term so they can never enjoy their freedom fries. Pilot Raiden ensures Lena that they would rather die fighting than sit around for their death sentence out of a sense of pride. He better prepare to eat those words though as an advanced legion unit led by Metal Gear Shorei closes out the episode and sends a juggernaut squadron to meet their makers. So as I've mentioned multiple times, one of the strongest points of this show is how they used forced perspective or point of view or whatever to, to, to tell the story. And this episode is like a fantastic example of that because the episode starts off with Lena walking through an area with the festival or whatever and then recalling her conversation with Kukumila. Kukumila? Kurena. Isn't her name Kukumila? That's her last name. Oh my God. What? Corena. Corena, okay, yeah, you're Corena right. Kukumila. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know. She said Kukumila in that scene. Kuku- so. Kukumelon. <laughs> um, anyway, she's talking to Corena, and Corena is telling Lena the horrors that they've seen on the battlefield and seeing their friends die in gruesome ways, and she's very explicit about it. And the entire time, you only listen to Corena tell these things. You can only listen to her voice, but what you're seeing on screen is like the carefree beautiful happy events that mm-hmm. are happening around lena as people inside the walls are enjoying their lives without a care or awareness of what's happening in district 86 because you know they're being kept safe by the 86 and i'm like this is fantastic like like the corena's words are so powerful that lena i think at one point like drops to the ground and she's like very physically just um she's like unable to process what Karenna has told her and all around her it's just like happiness it, it's just so weird being the viewer and hearing one thing and seeing the complete opposite and you really get the disconnect there like the disconnect between these districts and, and what's really going on in the world so I thought that was very very well done yeah it's kind of like when you hear stories of like what's happened in the war or like past wars and how these people gave their lives in order to protect the freedoms of 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 today's generation except in this case it it's warped because like the the san magnolia military is exploiting uh, the 
so-called inferior race of the 86 for this reason. And yeah, that, that just makes it even more jarring listening to Corena explain these situations to Lena. The other thing, um, I've already mentioned this earlier, so I won't dive into it, but this is also the, the episode where they reveal, um, as you mentioned in your synopsis, that the 86 Spearhead Squadron is just on a suicide mission. Um, and Lena asks them, like, why do you continue to fight instead of run away? Which I'm like, that's a really fucking good question. And they say, you know, we're we're not wanting to be basically the type of people that we hate we want to be on the path of uh trying to fight trying to fight to survive and protect the ones that we care about so again this is like that moment where they really blur the lines between the 86 and the alba and that concept of like who's good and who's evil in this situation i think this explained my question of why the 86 would always just move on from people's deaths is that they they knew what their fates were and just kind of morbidly accepted it. Um, and like, again, they're, they're unfazed by casualties of their comrades and they put up a strong facade again, with the exception of Anju. But I think it's summed up pretty nicely with something that Raiden mentions to Lena is that even if you know you're going to the gallows, you can choose how to climb up there. They just have that much resolve, even in the face of all this death and loss of loved ones. In episode 8, Let's Go, Shinderu learns that Shorei's brains are being used for the Legion's nefarious means and is determined to face him one last time. Meanwhile, Major Laser Lena reads up on an unauthorized biography of Spearhead and learns more about the squadron being used as Operation Meat Shield. She goes to Annette and her uncle for consolation, but the former is a cynical bitch, and the latter pulls a high school musical card by sticking to the status quo, lest the Republic be blacklisted for their crimes against humanity. Out of carrots and out of sticks, Lena bids farewell to Shinderu, who tips her off of a chance to escape San Magnolia's fascist clutches once he lays the smack down on Metal Gear Shorey. And with that, the remainder of Spearhead disembarks on their final death sentence of a mission, while Metal Gear Shorey contemplates bringing Shin to the Legion in a twisted desire to protect his brother. There's only one thing I want to comment on in this episode, and that's how eerie it is. Like, it's it's super eerie to see the five remaining members go off on their suicide mission. Like, this entire episode was portrayed in such a, like, not inspirational, but I guess hopeful way. Like, with them smiling and reminiscing and saying goodbye to everyone. Like, they're going off on some, like, I don't know, like, on a study abroad trip or some shit. But here it's like they're literally going to go off to die. And it was just so weird that they were, like, everything was just so bright and beautiful and, again, like, hopeful. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? What am I watching? This is crazy. <laughs> again, for me, being that war film buff, um, this was kind of like the calm before the storm montage. I think even Game of Thrones use this kind of storytelling technique before like a major battle in the last season i just knew that these guys were fucked (laughs) (laughs) that's how i took this whole montage um i think there's there's only five of them left at this point which is shin kurena theoto raiden and anju right yeah so yeah they were fucked (laughs) (laughs) in episode nine goodbye spearhead engages in a scuffle with metal gear shore's legion unit giving Shinderu the chance to go mano a mano with his big brother. But the fight is more lopsided than a pancake on a pyramid. But fear not, Major Laser Lena comes to the rescue with some artillery firepower after she blackmails Annette into helping her, 
by revealing that Shinderu was her next-door 86 neighbor. Shorei then shines at the hands of Shinderu, but not before making amends with his younger brother. Spearhead continues to Susume past the Republic's borders to spread their Jiu no Tsubasa, leaving Major Laser Lena with no choice but to watch their para-raid blips go black. So we didn't get like a full-on battle episode but it was enough of a battle sequence to make me feel satisfied and again like at this point you know it's the the battles are not the focus here they're just there to kind of like break up some of the tension um but i thought there'd be more of an ongoing conflict with shin's brother but he was put to rest like right away um so i'm kind of wondering at this point even after finishing the first 11 episodes i'm still wondering like where is all this heading i thought that was like the big goal and it's clearly not because they finished it in like half an episode. <laughs> oh yeah, this felt like a finale set piece, and then, like yeah, it's only episode nine, and it will will learn that it it later focuses on Shin, I guess, almost being like the successor to Shorei as a legion. Um, although the the ending of episode eleven is pretty ambiguous, but yeah, this just had finale feels. But again, there's two only there's two episodes left. And, and Shin's voice actor did a great job with his sobbing moment when he broke down after um, killing off his brother. And it was a very different view compared to the stoic kudere Shin that we've known so far. Um, so that was, it was pretty jarring, um, you know, hearing him break down like that. And even the, the other spearhead members were like, I think they told Lena to turn her pair rate off because like, you know, Shin wouldn't want you to hear him like this. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I mean, just all of that tension built up over the years. Because I'm, he went through most of his life um, after his brother tried to choke him out, <laughs> <laughs> thinking that his brother hated him. And okay, maybe to to my earlier point about like what purpose Lena's ties to Shin's brother really had. I think really the the only purpose besides having some sort of connection between Lena and Shin was um, to allow Shin to have confirmation that his brother actually did care about him. Because mm-hmm. I don't think he he fully knew that after the choke out. I feel like it was through Lena's conversations with Shin's brother that Shin was able to say, okay, actually, my brother did care about me. Yeah, he basically just snapped at the wrong moment um, yeah. because of like their parents' deaths. Yeah, but even still to that point, I don't think he necessarily needed to have Lena have met Shin's brother in order for all of that to unfold. He could have had it done through another means. But what I really want to focus on in this episode was the whole dynamic between Annette and Lena because talk about a fucking smackdown Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it it was this crazy situation where Annette Annette admits the truth to Lena and then tells her she hates her which to me was like one of the most interesting plot twists we've gotten in this entire show um like normally you'd see that type of conflict and then the main character would have some like inspirational monologue to convince the other character that she's not a bad person. And, you know, you were a kid back then. And then the two characters would only grow closer as friends. But here Lena's like, okay, well fuck you too, bitch. Like it was just, it was so great. I just loved the, the basically like non-physical bitch fight we got in this, this episode. It was fantastic. Yeah, and she, then she just blackmails her into helping out with uh, with the battle. Yeah, she was like, like Lena gives her the smackdown by forcing her hand, Annette's hand, and helping Spearhead, but like doing so in a way that actually benefits Annette because she was finally able to save Shin and have some level of closure. Like, talk mm-hmm. about a fantastic smackdown like it's like that thanksgiving clap back that's just like so perfect it shuts someone up that's what this was because really what can annette say she can't say anything because lena has just given her one of the greatest gifts of closure that she Mm -hmm. could ever ask for 
after she tells Lena that she fucking hates her, like it was just <laughs> a fantastic moment between these two characters. And I love that it didn't fall into that trope of like, you know, we got into a fight, but we're still best friends at the end of the day. We, we got over it and we're closer now than ever. Like, nah, she's like, fuck you, bitch. I'm moving on. <laughs> yeah, as much as Annette gave Lena her desserts. Literally. And <laughs> yeah, Annette gets her just desserts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I, would comment, I want to comment on is how symbolic that the five birds are flying off in the distance during the credits. Oh, is that what the symbolism was of the birds? I didn't count them. Yeah, you know, like Lena's crying her her eyes out because she loses communication with um, the remaining five of Spearhead, and you can see them all gradually disappear. It's like, wow, is this what's gonna happen to them? The running part <laughs> was a little over dramatic for me. Like, I get yeah. it; she's trying to stay within range, but I'm like, you're kind of making an ass of yourself in public. <laughs> like, <laughs> I get it; the emotion is there, and when you're emotional, you do unusual things but it was just like slightly too dramatic for me but it's fine is this the run after the girl sequence yeah. <laughs> except it's it's run after the squad sequence of, of anime films in episode 10 thank you spearhead stops their sojourn at a not so juggernaut friendly river giving them an opportunity for some well-deserved r&r and a tour of a nearby abandoned town shinderu is in good spirits having laid his braza to rest and after Mercy killing a damaged black sheep in the town, declares that he intends to travel to a nation free from the Legion's grasp so that the squadron can truly spread their Jiu no Subasa. Two weeks later, Spearhead's mechanical companion Fido recalls fond memories with Shinderu and the squadron before it erupts in a fiery explosion. Sure, it's a bucket of bolts, but how dare you? He was a good mecha boy. Oh my god, the dog. Or like, you know, Fido. The dog. <laughs> I like how they call him their dog, too, like in an earlier episode. Um, but yeah, this episode's definitely the calm before the storm. It's more relaxed and just kind of focuses on Spearhead and, and their perspective now that they're quote-unquote free. But really, the the most powerful part is, is that post-credits where we see everything from Fido's point of view, um, which is an opportunity, a, a very clever way of of adding an opportunity to add more pieces to the puzzle because we're seeing things like Anju crying after the kitchen scene because she's holding a pot outside. Yeah. She's like holding back her tears in the previous episode, but here we see the immediate afterwards, um, you know, after Daya's death. Um, or who was the redhead? Um, what the fuck was his name? Hart? The one what? voiced by Midoriya's voice actor? I think it was Hart, right? Oh, you're not talking about Kurena? No, 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 the boy. I think it's Hart Keats. That's a weird name. Um, but anyway, we, we see Hart saying that he was looking forward to the final mission with those other five, like the, the five of them, meaning the last five to be alive. And then immediately after is a quick image of like what I assume to be his shadow where he's hanging over a All pool right. of his own blood. And at the very end, which is the most curious part to me, is that we see several flashes of Shin, including one, I think. It was very fast, but if I caught it, it was a shot of Shin where he was super young. Because I think he was wearing, like, the overalls, maybe. And so I'm wondering, like, did Fido used to belong to Shin earlier on? Or did I just, like, miss see that because it flashed so fast? Well, we see um, the moment uh, where Shin is on the battlefield. And he's. it looks like he's looking for his brother's remains, right? Yeah. And then that's where he finds Fido. So I think it's implied that Fido used to be part of Shorey's like squadron. Mm. Um so maybe that's that's the connection there as to why like um Fido is so 
closely connected to Shin. And why Shin is the only one that can understand Fido. Oh, is he? Yeah. Is that, oh. I'm pretty sure he's... Because I think they talk about... In this actual episode, they're like, how can you understand him? And he doesn't really give an answer. But maybe that's like... That quick moment shows like there is a, a longer connection with Fido than, um, than they were obvious about but yeah i mean that was to me another great method of storytelling just to give us a little more context um about like what was really going on in in the parts that we missed and i think the the hard part where like it's just like him talking about looking forward to that final mission and then just like that quick shot of like a pool of blood with a shadow of a body hanging i'm like dude that's so fucked up this like oh my god it was so jarring and I think it's more impactful that you see these scenes after the fact of each of these pilots' deaths because it, it just makes it that more much more raw. Yeah. Um, especially because I think we saw even the first casualty of the show, the guy with the kind of slick, kind of like a Viking, yeah, like that Viking braid. Um, he was like writing on the chalkboard about like how many days were left. In, oh yeah. Like the end of their term. Oh my god. It's like they. Love the feels. <laughs> which is weird because it's implied that they know like this is supposed to be like the, the end of the road for them. Um, so the, the fact that they had a countdown, I don't know if it was just them trying to be a little hopeful. It probably was. Cause Shin also like openly talked to Lena about how he's close to his five year mark. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like everyone else is like, should we tell her the truth? Uh, but speaking of Lena, we don't see her, I think at all in this episode, again, yeah. forcing us to see things from Spearhead's perspective because they lost connection when they went out of range. So I thought that was um, also a smart choice to not have her in the episode. And in episode 11, here we go. A random skirmish with the Legion disables all but one of Spearhead's juggernauts alongside putting Fido out of service. R.I.P. little mecha buddy. The squadron continues onward with limited supplies but remain in high spirits taking another chance at R&R by visiting an abandoned school. The next day, Shin takes lead in piloting the last juggernaut, but cuts himself off from the rest of the squadron in order to become a one-man army against the Legion and allow the others to escape. But they still decide to help Abraza out as the entire squadron are egregiously wiped out by a Legion of Legion to the tune of a blood-curdling threat by a new shepherd. Meanwhile, Major Laser Lena visits her squadron's former digs as a new crew of Spearhead moves in. She finds a note left behind by the squadron, bidding her farewell, as well as requesting her to adopt a straight cat they befriended. She then reaffirms her resolve to keep fighting for truth, justice, and the 86th way. Meanwhile, meanwhile, as Shinderu lays dying, he dreams of reuniting with his brother in the great beyond. One might think he has lost his mind, but it appears instead that he has lost his head literally <laughs> that's clever um shin no longer wears his scarf around his neck after killing his brother it's around his arm so that's like that physical signaling of character development um or him getting closure uh lena going to their base i'm like why the fuck did you not do that like weeks ago you, you talk about wanting to connect with them and treat them as human and you want to relate to what they're going through and it you go to their base after they've already left for their suicide mission like i don't understand like why yeah. like that that kind of irked me and maybe there's a reason because i think she, she was put under house arrest for a while because of what she did i think with annette right yeah but like before that like uh, she I, had plans I'm, <laughs> yeah like, i'm sure she could have gotten like a uh, approval to go out there because they already send shipments of shit like she sent the fireworks that was nice or whatever but like like they are hounding you about um they even say at one point like you'll you you'll think of yourself as our comrade 
but we can never think of you as our comrade mm -hmm. if you're over there and we're over here. They literally say that to her at one point. And it's just now that she's going to their base. And I'm like, you could have gone to the base that easily. I thought there was something keeping her from going there, which is why, which is what I assume to be the reason why she never made her way out there. But then she just like shows up and I'm like, what the hell's happening here? Why don't you go there sooner? What the fuck? It just like made me kind of annoyed. I'm like, why? But maybe yeah. it'll be answered in part two. I don't know. Yeah, I would think it, like protocol was preventing her, but she just like walked in like it was nothing. She didn't care about protocol from the beginning. So if that's the reason, <laughs> I'd be like, are you serious? Yeah. Like put your money where your mouth is. But again, like, I don't know, maybe in part two, we'll find out that she's actually like breaking a rule and she's she's run away or something. Like, I I don't know. I did like the reveal, though, that the one dude, the mechanic, is actually an Alba mm -hmm. and that he doesn't tell anybody until right before they go on their suicide mission. And I think that's interesting because you want to kind of foster a bond or like a better understanding between 86 and Alba, but like you wait until they're about to die before you tell them this whole time I'm helping you and I'm actually an Alba. And that I was married to an 86, blah, blah, blah. I thought he told them like right after they enter the squadron. No, I thought it was because he wears his sunglasses. I think he kept his identity hidden until right before they go. Like he dies. Oh, he's talking to that specific group of five. Yeah. So like when when a when a part of the spearhead is like ready to go on their suicide mission, that's when he reveals himself to actually. Oh, uh, okay. Um, I don't know. He explained it. He said why. I can't remember why, but it was just like a very interesting little plot twist. Again, nothing is so black and white. This is true. This is true. And then at the end, like, it's it's kind of like, so is Shin dead? Are they all dead? Is Lena going home or is she going after them? Like, what is this cliffhanger ending? And now we have to wait but not wait because we could literally just jump right into part two. <laughs> yeah, what does this mean? We see his headless body and then his neck hole just kind of, like, scratched out, which was the same thing that happened with um, Shorei earlier when Shin's, like, trying to live his past memories. I think um, Shorei's eyes are crossed out until... Like, he finally puts him to rest. Yeah. So now it's, like, the turntables. Oh, the turntables. <laughs> One thing I wanted to call out with this episode is how important the school scene is in reminding us that we know these pilots are battle-hardened individuals that have survived endless encounters of bloodshed. But at the very base of it, they're still children well like not children but they're they're just they're very young after all and i know this is a typical anime trope where the cast of characters is like young children or teenagers but i think that's especially significant in this context where they're role-playing that they're students at a school right it, it's their first and probably only chance at living a normal life the way that their lives should have been lived and they, I think they explain, I don't know if it's in this episode or an earlier episode, that the reason they're sending out such young soldiers is because all the older people have died off. And mm -hmm. I think that's part of um, the reason that Shin's brother, like, snapped and, like, tried to choke out Shin. is He was, like, blaming Shin um, for his parents, like, their parents having to go off to war because, obviously, from like a seniority perspective, like the father probably went out first mm -hmm. and then the mother. And now it's Shin's brother's turn um, because they're just like, the whole point is to eventually eradicate the 86. So they're just sending everyone out based on age. And now that they've gotten rid of most of their adult like soldiers, now they're sending out, I guess the teenagers. Yeah. So yeah, it's just like, it's sad. It's very sad. A uh, couple other things. 
again, there's a new, I guess, shepherd. You briefly hear his voice as he threatens to kill everyone who threatens the princess. Yeah, what the fuck was that about? Yeah, maybe that's that'll be the big baddie of part two. Well, we have yet to see that. And I just wanted to call out the head of that pig guy on the bench. Oh, it's gone. Yeah, and I feel like that's foreshadowing of, of Shin's fate because we we see that it's actually a mannequin. I read up on Reddit. It's not. I always thought it was like a corpse that was just rotting there, <laughs> but I think it's applied because like you know the eighty six squad or Spearhead Squadron goes off on different missions and finds things in abandoned places. Um, I think they brought that mannequin back and just sat him there, pretended that he was an Alba, and put that pig sign. Uh... But yeah, like we see that that mannequin throughout the series and now its head is cut off so again is that shin (laughs) shin was the mannequin all along (laughs) (laughs) and before we go into our final thoughts just to briefly talk about episode 12 the poppies bloom red on the battlefield it is a recap 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 two interesting things i i watched this just to kind of freshen you watched it when did you watch it i watched it earlier today oh <laughs> um yeah i was re- just refreshing my memory on on the events that happened on the show two interesting things about it um it plays an english version of avid which is kind of weird the second thing is it's lena explaining the events that have happened before going into part two but the very last scene which i think it seals shin's fate or like what happened with shin what it spoiled it there's a there's a revelation of it looks like a new legion or juggernaut hybrid mech at the very end. Well, okay, don't don't tell me because I don't want to be spoiled. Well, that that's it. We just oh. get that flash of that scene, and then it says like part two coming October. And so I'm wondering, is that is that what happened to shit? <laughs> That'd be so dumb if they spoiled it that early. Uh, I, I think it it's it's just a teaser probably for what part two is going to bring, but. Well, speaking of part two and recaps, um, where we're at, like as of today's recording, I think 86 part two is like more than halfway through the season because I think it's going to have 12 episodes in part two. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure we're more than halfway through. Um, but either way, they've already had two recap episodes due to production issues. And I'm like, no, that's always a very scary thing when they need to throw recap episodes in the middle of a production um or like releasing an anime because they're behind on their production schedule I'm like please please don't let that like dampen or, or ruin any part of of the show because i constantly think back to wonder egg priority and how how much i loved that show until they started experiencing production issues and then the last episode was a recap episode and i was like holy shit it just ruined like everything just fell apart at the very end so i've got my fingers crossed that they're using these um, these placeholder recap episodes wisely to to maximize their efforts in production to ensure that the quality stays high because this is a really good show. Wait, there were two recaps. There's two. There's one recap oh. episode that came out to recap the first like six episodes, and yeah. then the next episode came out, and then immediately after that they had a second <laughs> recap episode to recap the first seven episodes. So it's like a recap of the recap. I I I do not watch recap episodes. So I think they're a waste of time. Um, so I don't know the, the content for them, but I just know in general that there were two, like almost back to back, like, like within a two week span. Very interesting. Very scary, but we'll see. I mean, it's still highly rated on Mal. Um, so I I think it's still going strong, but we'll, we'll see. We shall see. 
And with that, we are brought to our final thoughts for 86 part one. I think we are going to do a, a quote unquote soft rating. Like a tentative rating. Because it's like, it's weird. It's technically one season with two cores, but it's broken out into two parts that were several months apart. So mm-hmm. like you could consider them like somewhat like of a season one, season two, but not not literally. So I figured if if it's broken up that much, maybe we could do like a a tentative rating of like so far what do we think and then we'll do a final final rating when we review part two so on that note how many pararedo activatos out of 10 (laughs) would you give 86 part one i would give it an 8.5 it's it's very good it's it's a very good story that's told in a very interesting way and it's not at all what i thought it would be going into it like it's not a mecha anime it's not a war anime it is an exploration of human nature the politics around that um and just like human interaction in general set in the backdrop of like a a war setting um and don't get me wrong the war pieces of it are are crucial to being able to to tell this story um, but it's not necessarily necessarily the focus of it. So I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by everything. I feel like it's it subverted all of my expectations. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I was not that. expecting this. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I just think looking at it at surface level does not do it justice at all. You have to watch this show to truly understand what you're getting into. What about you? I would also give it an eight and a half out of ten. Yeah, I'm surprised that we hadn't watched this while the hype was was still up I there. I know. Oh my god, I'm kind of mm-hmm. bummed now, but we can still catch up on part two. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. Um, this show is. It feels like it's Attack on Titan meets Hunger Games meets Band of Brothers, which was that World War II TV drama. Um, but yeah, all in all, it's it's a war drama that feels as poignant and reflective as against like Saving Private Ryan or Band of Brothers, where. It doesn't just focus on the war aspects. It focuses more on the relationships. And we only get to know the characters for so long as the 86 just get picked off piece by piece. But I think the show succeeds in getting us emotionally invested in this squadron in only 11 episodes in a way that most other shows cannot. Um, I think it interweaves that seamlessly with the lofty themes of ultranationalism, prejudice, exploitation, but above all, going back to camaraderie and fighting for the person that's next to you. It ended on a huge cliffhanger ending, so it just makes me wonder what Lena is going to do next, or if we're going to interact with the new Spearhead Squadron, or where the fuck Shin's head is. (laughs) Um, And just to think even loftier than that, is this war between San Magnolia and the Empire of Jihad simply a manufactured war that was meant to wipe out the 86? Because we really haven't seen the Empire at all. Yeah, we barely know anything about the Legion at this point. So that just makes me wonder, again, is this just all a facade? Kind of like um, the prequel trilogy for Star Wars and the, the rise of Emperor Palpatine. For those star wars fans out there i do want to comment or kind of piggyback off of your your comment about like doing a lot with very little it's impressive what they've done with just 11 episodes like it's mm-hmm. again the first episode was a little bit overwhelming because they, they kind of threw things at you pretty quick there but yeah the the storytelling and like how far we've come from point a to point b in just 11 episodes like they really 
they're very thoughtful about how to maximize the time that they're given. Granted, they do have a second half coming out, so they can fully tell the story, hopefully, knock on wood. Um, but just being able to get us from the start of the show to, you know, like, essentially the end of Spearhead Squadron and, like, what's going on with Shin, like, that that's a lot. It's impressive that they did that without um, sacrificing much of anything. Like, it feels very well done. Yeah, like, just very well-paced overall. Yeah. So I think it's time to 86 this episode, Crabs. Oh. <laughs> well, yes. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our review of 86. We appreciate you guys joining us every single week. And we hope that you enjoyed this review just as much as the others. And that wraps up episode 64 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com, to share your thoughts on the anime we review and your thoughts on where Shin's head is. You'll also find more info on Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where we'll be having our Part 6 Stone Ocean review series. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Let's get into 86. Let's do it. I'm ready for emotion. I'm already watching I'm me ready into this. 86 those patties <laughs> yeah, crabs. 86 those patties crabs. Crabs? Crabs. Crabs. What? I don't know. <laughs> I had like a brain fart for a second. I lost my train of thought.